from Revelation. And as I looked, behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, friends. Glad to see you here on this All Saints Day, which actually, technically, this is not All Saints Day. It's the first of November, as you know, uh, but the rector can transfer it to the following Sunday, which is what I've done. And so we are going to look at the Feast of All Saints today. And I thought a fun thing would be, I just read a list of all of the saints. What do you think? We'll start with uh, Ananias. I go, I'm just kidding. We'd be here for months, years. Uh, but I do want to talk about not all the saints individually, but as a, as a construct, as an idea, as what makes a saint a saint? What makes a saint different from everybody else? Before I jump into that, though, I want to sort of paint a picture here, and it's, a, it's maybe a rhetorical question, but here it is. Uh, is it just me, or does it seem like the world is in a really bad spot right now? Can I get an amen? I know Episcopalians don't like doing amens, but you can give me an amen for that one. I mean, we are in the middle of a war with Ukraine, uh, which is another whole kettle of fish I'm not going to get into. And then this thing with Israel and Hamas has really got me, it's really got me riled, uh, and it's got me concerned, and it's got me thinking about a bunch of different things. But the one thing which I think we can all agree on, and I hope you agree, is this. How can two people, two groups of people, look at this with look at the same situation and come away with radically different ideas of what that means. I'll give you a concrete example. Put aside the Israel-Palestine, who owns what debate. That's another whole kettle of fish that I'm not going to get into. But I do want to talk about this thing, which stuck out at me. You know, you watch TV, these protests, these Palestinian students protesting, and, and people comparing, this blows me away, people comparing the brutality, Hamas brutality against civilians right, women and children, with Israel's attack against those in Gaza. I, I cannot get my mind around that. Drawing a moral equivalence between terrorists against innocent people and military going after terrorists, I cannot get my mind around it. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it is just me. But I sometimes feel like we live on two different planets. Anybody ever feel that way? Like, we're just in, like, two totally different worlds, man. It's like, it's like and, and I don't even think, even this, the Israel and all that stuff. I mean, just culturally, things are getting weirder and weirder, more and more bifurcated. It's almost like we live on two different planets, and that's because we do. Not really two different planets. Thinking, what, what's he talking about, two different planets? Now, I don't, I don't really mean two different planets, but I do think we live in two different kingdoms. A kingdom is, of course, a structure that has a king, and that king calls the shots. So depending on who you king, your king is, is how you act. And I would submit this to you this morning, we're going to talk about, that we live in two different kingdoms. Specifically, the kingdom of this world, ruled by fear and greed and power, I'll get into that, championed by such luminaries as Nietzsche and Marx and Freud, who uh, pretty much do money, sex, and power, and that famous unholy trinity. That's the kingdom of this world. Money, sex, and power, championed by Nietzsche, Marx, and Freud. And the kingdom of God, ruled in humility and compassion and forgiveness and reliance on Almighty God, championed by the saints. 
Today's All Saints Day, and we're going to look at all the saints, not individually, but as, an, as a corporate, what makes a saint a saint? And the, what makes a saint a saint is that they, we, as you'll see, live by the rules of the kingdom of God while living in the kingdom of this world. You with me? We are called as saints to live in the, by the rules of the kingdom of God, get into that, in the kingdom of this world. So two points this morning, just to sort of help you keep track of where I'm going. Two points. What is a saint? And why do they live differently? So first thing is, what is a saint? It's a big question. People don't actually know what a saint is. I always thought when I was a kid, a saint was a person that had a gold plate behind their head, you know, a nimbus. That's what I thought. I had no idea. Um, but here's the, here's the definition according to the Dictionary of Biblical Themes. I know that's a go-to for all of you. Anyway, here it is. The people of God, especially in their relationship to being set apart from the world, Saints are called to lead holy lives worthy of their calling. There's two things I want to point out there. A couple things. Saints are the people of God set apart from the world, right? Meaning distinct, different from everybody else, who live differently from the world and who lead lives worthy of what God has called them to do. Let's unpack that a little bit. Where that really starts though at the beginning is very simply this, that saints are people who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Not a prophet, not a nice guy, but God. And not just God, but specifically saints are people that believe that God, through Jesus Christ's death on the cross, has saved them from their sins. That their salvation and ours, if we are saints, is wrought by Jesus' death on the cross in our place, where he takes our sins from us and atones for them where we can't. Anybody here believe that? Yes? I hope so, because if you do believe that, then you are a saint. Now, this is really different from what our culture says about saints, and I can't help it, but I'm thinking about, I don't know, Andrew Tate pops into mind. Anybody know who Andrew Tate is? He's a bit of a dirtbag, but anyway, a bit of a dirtbag. He's a dirtbag. I'll say, I'll say that on camera. He, Andrew Tate, left Christianity for Islam because in his mind, he said this, that Christianity was weak, a religion for weak people. Which is ironic coming from a man who's a self-proclaimed misogynist and did some things he shouldn't have been doing with underage girls in Budapest. That's another matter. There's a strong fellow for you. That's the kind of guy I want to hang with. But he's wrong, Andrew Tate is, because real saints are actually tough, men and women, Real saints are actually people that show the example of how to live rightly. Let me give you, let me show you one, a famous one. St. Augustine of Hippo. Hippo is a place in Africa. St. Augustine had everything the world could offer him. Everything. Money, sex, and power. Chicks and Lambos, right? He had it. He had a key. He's brilliant. He had a keen mind. Lots of friends. Lots of influence. Not lots of wealth. St. Augustine had the world by the tail. My dad just said it to me when I was a kid. Augustine lived in the kingdom of this world. But despite all his worldly success, and many of you have been through this, I pray, I hope, the, the wonderful midlife crisis, which teaches you this, that money, sex, and power don't actually give you what you think they will. Right? He had everything the world could offer him, but the one thing that Augustine didn't have, that he really craved over everything else, was contentedness, was peace. Irene is the Greek word. 
And it means that despite everything that goes on in your, whenever the bottom falls out in your world, you know in your existential being, everything's going to be cool. Everything is going to be okay. Augustine didn't have that. He had the world by the tail, he had money, sex, and power, but he didn't have the thing he really wanted, which was peace, until he met Jesus. Here's the story. It's a cool story. Ready? Again, remember, Augustine did things that I've never even heard of before, but that's another matter. He was sitting on his lanai by his pool in his backyard, smoking a cigar, drinking a beer, um, as a typical Floridian would do on a summer day. I'm just kidding. He wasn't on a Floridian, but I don't know, whatever. And as he's sitting on his back porch, he hears what he thought was a child. He couldn't see the kid, but he could hear a child go, take and read, take and read, take and read. And he had a sense that this was something going on here. You know, you get those Holy Spirit moments sometimes. And he opened a Bible that he had, and this is what he, he just flipped it open, right? The old Protestant track. He just flipped it, trick. You flip it open, Romans 13, 12. This is what Augustine read. You ready? So then, Paul writes, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us, work pro- let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on, here's the deal, here's the key, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for it in the flesh. Quarreling, jealousy, sexual immorality. It's like the view. <laughs> Sorry. But those words that, Paul, that Augustine read from St. Paul's epistle, they changed his whole world. You know, later on, if, you're, if you don't know anything about him, it's, he wrote a book called Confessions. It's his, his own discussion of his own conversion experience. It's wonderful. And he wrote that with those words in Scripture, he says, Augustine says, Jesus actually changed him. And he writes this, O God, all hearts are restless until they rest in you. See, here's the thing, and this is where Andrew Tate's wrong. St. Augustine was a sinner, but he was saved by Jesus. He used to live in the kingdom of this world, where he strove for money, sex, and power. In fact, we all fall for it. We all do. We all fall for it because we live in a fallen world that says that money, sex, and power are how you become content and happy and peaceful. The problem is, it doesn't work. Augustine had the guts and the courage and the intelligence and the smarts and the, the uh, willingness to see things from a different angle, and he actually was changed by Jesus. That's my first point then. What is a saint? Well, frankly and bluntly, saints are sinners saved by Jesus. That's a saint. Living or dead. I'll get to that in a second. My second point then is that that's true. If saints are sinners that are saved by Jesus— then why do, they, why do they live differently from everybody else? Well, here's the thing. You don't need to be a dead guy or a dead girl to be a saint. You can be very much alive, be alive and be a saint. It's true that the church throughout history has recognized certain people, St. Mary, St. Paul, St. Augustine, St. Uh, Theodore of Mepsoastria. He's a familiar one. <laughs> but the interesting thing about saints is that they're just all so incredibly ordinary. There's nothing remarkable about them until they meet Jesus, and then that changes everything. In fact, Paul writes to his, when Paul writes his epistles, he frequently addresses the epistles to the saints at 
whatever church it is. For, I mean, he, he, this astounds me. Paul even writes his epistle to the Corinthians, the first one, to the saints in Corinth. And man, the saints in Corinth, in Corinth, they were doing things you can't even do in Vegas. And yet he still calls them saints. You know why? Because they'd been saved. Saints are saved sinners, friends. Where God takes ordinary men and women and uses them by his grace, through his grace, for extraordinary work. Let's look, even St. Paul. He's a, great, he's a great case study. St. Paul, who was known as Saul of Tarsus before his conversion. By the way, the name Saul means great, like King Saul, the Jews. Saulas means great. And then when Jesus changed his name to Paulus, Paul, it means little, small, insignificant. But Saul was a man with a keen mind, highly educated, Harvard grad, wealthy, influential family, who was essentially, Saul, was a religious zealot and a terrorist. Before his conversion, Saul of Tarsus, whom we know as Paul, he would have made Hamas look like a, a, a Girl Scout troop. You know, on his, we hear about the road to Damascus, Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. Do you know why he was on the road to Damascus? To go to Damascus and kill Christians. That's what he was going to do. And then he, like Augustine, met Jesus, and it changed him. Or another one, St. Francis of Assisi. St. Francis of Assisi. St. Francis was from a town called Assisi in Italy. I've never been there, but he was the son, 14th century son, of a very wealthy textile merchant in the city. His father was well known in town as the guy who had made the best clothes. Francis was born into wealth, and he was a, wasn't a trust fund kid. They didn't have it back then, but get the idea. He came from a very, very wealthy, prestigious family. He was the best-dressed guy in town. His old man owned the best clothing business in town until he gave it all up. And then one day, Francis, if you don't know this story, walked out into the middle of Assisi, and he was wearing not fine clothes that his father had bought him, but his best birthday suit. <laughs> I'm not kidding. His father was outraged. Frank, get some clothes on! And Francis put on, put on a brown sack with a cincture around his waist and went out and preached the gospel. He literally changed Western culture. Here's my point. Here's the question, really. What would cause someone, Augustine or Paul or Francis or... What would cause anyone to turn their entire lives upside down, turn their whole lives over to something bigger than themselves. Well, it's simple. Then and now. It's always the same story. These people, us, we meet Jesus. It works the same way then as it does even now. That is what makes saints different from every other movers and shakers in the world. Saints are people saved by Jesus who strive to use their gifts, listen, to serve him, their creator. So here's the gut check for you today, and me. I think we all, you know, we talk about the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. I think we're all kind of like this, you know? We want to be going this way, but we're kind of in the middle sometimes. But who do you serve? Who do you serve? Do you know? Do you think about these things? You should, because if you don't know, then it's, you're serving something you don't mean to serve. Do people see Jesus in you? Do you stand out in the crowd? 
Do you have the guts to stand up for something when you, what you know is wrong and you say it even though it might be politically incorrect or get you fired or get you in trouble or get one of your kids to go, come on, Dad, right, or whatever. I don't know. It could be anything. Do you live in the kingdom of this world or do you live in the kingdom of God? Is your life's goal money, sex, and power or serving the God who made you? You know, it's actually a funny thing that the... the uh, I won't say secret, but the method to a happy and contented life is to be a saint. I've known lots of people with lots of money and lots of power, and they were miserable because they served themselves. They served Satan and didn't know it. But friends, Christianity is not a spectator sport. We are not called to be pew potatoes. We are called to change the world, to be an example, to talk straight, to be straight shooters, as our culture gets stranger and stranger, as things get weirder and weirder, as free speech is suppressed, as Hamas terrorists are celebrated as heroes, gender identity questions and critical race theory and all these things are shoved down our throats, saints say, no, enough. We worship Jesus and we are standing by what the scriptures say and we are willing to pay the price to live according to kingdom norms. You know, the world is divided into two kingdoms, the kingdom of this world, broken and fallen, the, king, the world owned by, run by Satan, literally, drug traffickers and terrorists and abortion on demand, and the kingdom of God, where we live according to big, biblical principles of love, hope, forgiveness, kindness, self-control, faithfulness, courage. But you know, I want to remind you of something. This is not just an exercise in being a moral person but recognizing something critical, that when Christ returns, the kingdom of God will replace the kingdom of this world. Did you notice? Look at it again in Revelation when John writes. He sees the heavens and the earth come down. They all these innumerable saints surround, are there when Christ returns. The, he, the new heaven and the new earth. Heaven is a physical place, by the way. When Christ returns, Satan will be destroyed ultimately and Christ as king will reign over the kingdom of God, and you and I, friends, will be saints and be part of it. And that's why, that's the only reason why, saints live differently. Not to be goody-two-shoes, not to be political action committee. We live as an advanced recon team, any of you with military backgrounds. We're the advanced recon team that goes out and waits for the, waits for the reinforcements to come in. We're the ones to live by kingdom of God rules in the kingdom of this world. We are to be, as Jesus says, salt and light in a tasteless and dark culture. Friends, your mission and mine on earth, should you choose to accept it, is to be a saint, to love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you, to work for justice when innocent people are killed, to forgive 70 times 7, to stand up for the poor, for the defenseless, until Jesus comes and sets the world to rights. That's your mission and mine. And you know what? There is no plan B. We're it, the saints of God, living and dead, who live according to the rules of the kingdom of God, even in the midst of a broken and fallen world. So here's my challenge for you this morning, friends. Are you willing to be a saint? Are you ready to be a saint? Because there's no plan B. 
you're it. Now let's go make some more saints. You guys ready? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook. Facebook.